It is that time of year again here at the Leukemia Foundation to talk about the world's greatest shave. The world's greatest shave is one of the country's longest running and most iconic fundraising campaigns, bringing Australians together to champion a good cause for over 25 years. Every year, each March, a community of trailblazers step up to shave, cut or colour their hair, all in the name of funding game-changing blood cancer support and research. Every dollar you will raise will help keep families together when they need it the most. We'll provide practical and emotional support services to patients and their families. We'll help fund cutting-edge research and campaign for change for those affected. We'll help families meet basic costs like putting food on the table, getting to hospital or paying bills. You will join a community of trailblazers determined to shape a brighter future for blood cancer patients and their families. A community that champions change, that doesn't take no for an answer. So why don't you sign up to the Leukemia Foundation's World's Greatest Shave and shave, cut or colour your hair in support of Australians facing blood cancer. Every dollar you will raise will help provide support services to patients and families and keep them together. Hi, and welcome to the Leukemia Foundation's podcast, Talking Blood Cancer. My name is Kate Arkadiff, and my role at the Leukemia Foundation is a blood cancer support coordinator. We provide emotional and practical support to people living with blood cancer and their loved ones. Our support is offered throughout the many different stages of a blood cancer journey. While listening to this podcast, we will share the stories of people we have connected with who have faced blood cancer so that you, our listeners, can gain insight, find purpose and take inspiration. The Leukemia Foundation acknowledges the traditional owners of the country throughout Australia and recognises their continuing connection to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This story may contain content that some listeners may find difficult and challenging. We encourage anyone listening to take care of their own mental health and well-being. The purpose of this podcast is to share the real-life stories of people living with a blood cancer, and any discussion of medical treatments is not an endorsement. We encourage you to seek the advice from your treatment team if you have any questions regarding your diagnosis, side effects or treatment. If you would like to talk to someone or even if you would like more information on our services or on today's episode, please feel free to contact 1-800-620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. In today's episode, I'm speaking with the incredible Esther Zhu. Originally from Shanghai in China, Esther was feeling settled and content in her new life in Melbourne when she was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2016. It was a doctor's visit that changed her life forever. Not only did Esther have to deal with the physical aspects of a blood cancer diagnosis, she also had to deal with the emotional and cultural complexities. 
Esther gives light to the struggles she faced throughout her blood cancer journey and explains how she now sees her diagnosis as a positive turn of events in her life and how it helped her connect with her authentic self. So let's get into today's episode. Hi Esther, thanks for coming on today. So what kind of made you go to the doctor? Were you unwell? Were you just um, had some lumps or what What was it that made you go, oh, something's not quite right here? Yeah, it's actually interesting, Kate. Um, early 2016, because before I also experienced some autoimmune symptoms. So finally, early 2016, my autoimmune symptoms get settled. And at that point, I start adapting healthy life habits. But then just a couple months later in March, I start feeling the cramps in my stomach. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's kind of like a needle pain here and there. And then I, first I went to do a blood test. And then the, the results shows that I have helicobacter uh, infection, which is quite common in most mm. of the population. Like if you mm. eat some food, maybe you can get that bacteria. So I went to see a GP, and then GP said, "Give me a pro, uh, give me an antibiotics." And he said, "By taking these antibiotics, ninety-five percent of the issues cases will be gone. So don't worry, it's quite common to have this infection." So that was in April, and I take this uh, antibiotics for a couple of weeks, and it's actually getting settled down Mm. and uh, I remember 1st of May is one of my best friend's wedding in China and she asked me to be a bridesmaid so I flew back to Shanghai for four days to be you know to be her bridesmaid but then on the return flight to Melbourne I start feeling that cramps again and this time getting worse I'm so lucky it happened, the diagnosis yeah. happened after the wedding, you know, otherwise I can't be the bridesmaid. Yeah. So the cramps get worse and then I went to see the GP again. And then GP told me, say, asked me, say, hey, do you want to have another antibiotics? I don't know why at that time there's a voice inside of me say, mm. no. I said, you told me the first antibiotics can kill it but now it doesn't work try another antibiotics i felt i need to like investigate it in more that's why i asked gp i said what else i can do mm-hmm. and he said you can do a gastroscopy i was very scared with gastroscopy because when i was little i saw my mom did it in china at that time in china we don't they don't have a, like any any sticks like a numb you like put you in anesthetic anesthetic that's why yep. I could see mom has a lot of pain. So I always trying to mm. avoid that. But I don't know why this yeah. time I told the GP said, yes, I'm going to give a go. So I went to see my gastro specialist. I've been seeing him for my autoimmune issues. And I remember it was a Wednesday. So I did a gastroscopy and immediately he showed me a photo. And I saw that photo. It's like a kind of a volcano mountain on the mass there's a lot of holes like a little holes on my stomach and uh immediately i i didn't feel anything but he said something to me he said he said esther come to see me on friday 
because I know he normally don't have clinics on Friday, but he told me to see him first thing on Friday. And at that point, I realized something could get wrong. But at that stage, I was always reasonably healthy and I could never link cancer with me, especially at a very young age. So I never thought yeah. about cancer. Mm-hmm. So Friday morning, I was coming to see him. He was a little bit late with his appointment and uh, you know, I was waiting outside at the reception and I was so nervous and shaking, you know. And finally mm-hmm. he came and uh, I went to see him and he looked at my report and <laughs> and then he popped up this uh, kind of the most hilarious questions that I would never, I've never heard in my life from a doctor. He said to me, he said, oh, Esther, I have a good news and a bad news for you. You know, what news you want to hear first? You know, Kate, at that kind of nerve-wracking moment, and the doctor give you a choice. And what would you yeah, choose? Yeah, <laughs> what do I choose? Yeah. Mm. So because I was so scared, and I, I said to him, I said, you know, please give, tell me a good news first to make me feel comfortable. Yeah. But then he decided to say, hey, I'll tell you the bad news first. And I was very upset. I said, why are you get me to choose? Yeah. And then he gave me this diagnosis. He said, Esther, you got a non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And uh, he told me I got a non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And uh, straight away I asked him, is this cancer? He said, yes. And I was, I was shocked, but uh, maybe wow. not overly shocked, but I felt something I can't expect. Maybe in my mind I have already expected something. So I was shocked. But then I was, uh, I never asked him. I say, okay, cancer is already a worse news to me. Is uh, why you said it's also a good news. And uh, he said, so I have a non-Hodgkin lymphoma on my stomach. It's called a gastric lymphoma. He said, he said, ninety percent of people having cancer on stomach is stomach cancer, and only ten percent will be lymphoma. And the lymphoma, in general speaking, has a better chance to cure than stomach cancer. Right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, from that bizarre first appointment, that cancer diagnosis, I always had that belief in my mind that I was so lucky. You know, I got the mm-hmm. gastric lymphoma instead of stomach cancer. So this is always kind of in my mind since that day one of my cancer journey. So. Yeah, so that's my diagnosis story. <laughs> wow. And it, as you said, you were just going about life, being, you know, young, fit and healthy and, and implementing all these, you know, um, regimes. And she said, like, I think you said you were, try- you were getting healthy and whatnot before the diagnosis. And then to be lumped with the diagnosis, that just must have, as you said, you, you felt like you almost knew that when she walked into that room that, you know, something was off. but. A cancer diagnosis, as you said, was the last thing that you were expecting. Yes. Sometimes, Kate, you know, like especially going through those cancer health challenges, you felt, okay, there's something getting better, but then another big wave kind of drawn you. Mm -hmm. But then the natural uh, human kind of uh, capabilities or even like a cancer that you want to live, so you will 
try to stand up again to overcome that way. So it's kind of uh, constantly walking, sometimes in the dark, and you don't know what could happen next, but you just have to keep going. And, um, yeah, at that time I thought, oh, wow, there's another one now. It's a bigger one. Now I have to deal with that for now. Yeah. So, yeah. One of my wise, um, my wise mentors says, and she's always said it, she, you know, when we're faced with the problem as, as humans, you know, we can't go around it, we can't go under it, and we can't go over it. We just have to go through it. And yes. um, that's very much what, as you're saying, is you've had, you you looked at it as, okay, I just have to walk straight ahead and go through whatever the journey it is. Yes, and also I made a decision is at that time, you know, in my workplace, a year ago before I diagnosed we also had a colleague who eventually unfortunately passed away, but he chose to not to tell his cancer news to to other colleagues in the office. Of course, the manager's directors knew, but he chose not to tell us. But we can all see that, We can, but we are too scared because he hasn't told us. We are scared to ask him. And I could feel that tension, that pain, that suffering on his face without expression. So immediately after I diagnosed, I made a decision that no matter what, whoever my colleagues, my friends here ask me, you know, what's going on, how's, how's going on, because I took days off to do checks. Everyone knows, you know, I go, go, go through health checks. So whoever asks me what's wrong with me, and I'm going to tell them I've been diagnosed with cancer. And it was so very heartwarming when you tell people that, you know, you're not well, you're going through cancer now, and everyone you know, they hug me, they're holding your hand, say, you know, we are here supporting you. So immediately it kind of removed like like a lot of uh, internal blockage within me that I can openly face, I can openly share things with my colleagues and then and I can also receive the help from others. So that's the decision yeah. I made is to disclose my... And do you think that that also helps you accept where you were at with the diagnosis of yes, I've been diagnosed, and I can I have to move forward, and to, I've got this village of support around me that I know if I need to call on for emotional or physical support, that you have people behind you backing you and barracking you, barracking for you to help you get through. Yes, definitely. Uh, I think up to you know go through my cancer treatment that journey. I received a lot of help from my friends, definitely from yeah. friends here, from my mom, from the workplace. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so you, I know that you've said, you've told me previously that you have family in Shanghai. So gosh, how was that phone call? What did, did you make a phone call? Did you, did you tell your parents directly or how did, how do you deliver that news? Oh yeah. That was the hardest thing one of the hardest things ever in my life because as a single child I hold a lot of expectations to be able to support my parents when they're older I'm their pride you know I've uh, been achieving a lot and they are really proud of me that's why I always only tell them the good news and I hardly ever tell them that the bad news but suddenly these things 
it's like a bomb to them. So I've been. So is that right? Is that a cultural expectation that you you know that many children feel in China that they have this expectation and responsibility to, you know, I guess live up to their their parents' dreams and desires? Is that a cultural? Yeah, it's a cultural thing. And the other thing is, as a Chinese, we also have a like a tradition that the kids will like support the parents, you know, look after parents when they're old. So my yeah, parents right. couldn't bear that they grow older without uh, their daughter. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a big hit for them. Okay. And they also were so to deliver that phone call would have been huge because you knowing yeah. all of that and going oh I now have to tell them that I've been yeah. diagnosed with cancer. So what I interesting so I got diagnosed by the end of May I think thirty first of May I got the exact diagnosis and I'm, I'm, my birthday is middle of June so I've been and my chemo starts in July so. I've been procrastinating, you know. I said, at least let me have a great birthday. So after my yeah. birthday, I said, oh, I can't really, you know. I can't. This is too big. I can't really hide news to my parents this time. So I actually ring my best friend, one of my best friends in Shanghai. I say, hey, can you come to my home and to make sure my my dad is all, also there because I, I worry my mom will faint when – she healed the news. So I said, make sure, find a, play, find a time when both my parents came and they delivered the news. So yeah. I, I was actually telling her, say, because I ring her on Sunday night and I said to her, tomorrow is a working day. You don't need to do during work days and you do it at weekends. So that means they're giving me another week. Yeah. I say, no, no, no. This is so important. I'm going to take annual leave tomorrow and I'm going to check Go to your house. So, so Monday, my friend came to my house, and the whole morning on Monday, I was at work. I was, you know, I was uh, keep checking my phone, anxious. And then lunchtime, my friend sent me a text message, said, you know, I've delivered the news, and your parents want you to call home. So, I was calling home, and my mom picked up the phone. And uh, I'll never forget the first thing my mom said to me, said, we are family, we will go through this together. Mm. And uh, at that time I cried because I felt all the, like all the heavy rolls on my shoulders yeah. over the past years. You know, I couldn't express myself like all these, you know, things, not good news. I can't express to my Parents, finally, I can truly express, you know, I can have an open conversation with my parents. I can tell them that I'm not good I'm, or I'm not well instead of always yeah. pretending or to creating that fake, perfect, always good image. So I was suddenly crying, crying a lot. And then also the other thing I realized that before I ring home, I told you, Kate, I always had an impression is my parents couldn't stand up with this news or they would be, uh, you know, crying or something. But then from my mom's voice, I could feel that strength, that power mm. from my parents, even they are older. And I realized that I can never underestimate my parents. 
so yeah. it's a big and their strength the strength yeah yeah so after that my mom get a uh, visa get a temporary visa and she fly over to Melbourne to look after me during my treatment so wow so what I mean you know before you told them I, I imagine did you ever think that she would feel that she needed to come out and help support you you know did you think that she would take that step to come out and be with you or were you unsure if she would come out and be your carer I'm always sure my mom will come here yeah yeah and mom, that was her yeah. that was her first lines to you wasn't it is we're family and we will get through this yeah, and um, that's where where I felt the strength from my parents that, yeah, you have the support from your family, from my mom and dad. And, uh, yeah. And so. the belief that you can do this, you are strong enough within yourself to withstand the treatment and withstand um, this diagnosis. Yeah. Uh, I always have an inner knowing case throughout my treatment, it was through my chemo. I always have a knowing that I can get through this. Yeah, you always knew. I always knew I can overcome yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, this is something I'm very sure. Even a lot of times I could be overwhelmed or clouded with fear, doubts, but, yeah, just, but I always knew that, yeah. Yeah, your inner belief was really strong. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I yeah, I I probably not really listened to myself a lot at that time, but for this I'm very sure. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And so did your family like once they received that news, you said your mum got on a plane, but did they tell extended family over in China that what you were going through and why your mother had to leave to come to Australia or did they just not talk about it back home? They actually, first of all, they choose not to tell, not to tell my cancer news to my family. And uh, the How reason that? They, uh, that was, I think these are, there are a couple of reasons. I One of the reasons is my mom, you know, because I was very young and my mom doesn't want other people's, you know, like showing victims on me, mm-hmm. and uh, and the other thing I, I I personally think is because there's a a little bit of the cancer belief around, you know, in my family. Later on, I read a little bit also in in our culture we hold some beliefs. For example, as as far as I know, like one of the belief is somebody has a cancer. It's a karma, bad karma. That means this person can do something bad in his maybe early life or can be his family has done something bad and that become a karma to their, you know, children or descendants. Yeah, right. And uh, at that time, our family, you know, we have a uh, um, my grandparents runs a business. So that's why the name of our family is important. Yeah. And my mom choose to, you know, not telling others so people don't have any suspects or any saying to say that or because something wrong with, you know, grandparents doing business or something wrong 
with stem cells right. and then their kids has to you know go through this yeah wow am i right in saying that you know with that kind of belief do they feel that a cancer diagnosis can bring shame upon a family is that that something bad has happened or someone has done something bad in a previous life or before is that is that what it is yeah i think mostly they feel uh, ashamed or worried that other people will perceive us yeah. doing this and my mom will always say to me say uh, we have been well a good family why we have this you know we have been always honest in what we're doing running our business why we do this why you have this illness yeah and uh, yeah so with that and I guess that stigma around cancer was it hard like how did your parents continue to support you you know were they open and wanting to know about treatment and how you were going and tests or and engaging with what was going on or did they just kind of ask you quickly and then yep move on my parents can't really face cancer even four years now my mom never believed I had a cancer my mom always saw it's a misdiagnosis and she can still still now and she can't even say that word cancer in Mandarin. She can't say that word because they choose not to see it. So that's why when my mom when I come over for the treatment and because it's a lot of decision, it's quite critical to life or death, they be scared to 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 see or to to help or in a way to so they just, my mom very clear, my mom says, you do whatever you think you should do and I support you by cooking cooking you meals or washing. So basically that she said that's basically my role. So she doesn't really want to talk a lot about cancer. Even every time during the treatment I have to see an oncologist, my mom will just say, you go to see it. You, you tell me later, I, I can't go there. So, so did she ever go to the hospital with you and sit with you and um, while you during, had treatment? During chemo, yes, she she come with me. But when I have to see uh, doctors to see the result, she she's scared. She was scared to go there. Yeah. So, yeah. And how did she cope seeing the the amount of people in chairs hooked up to chemotherapy? Was that confronting for her, or was she is she okay to see that? She's okay to see that but it's also at the beginning she was not and I mm. felt my mom didn't express her worry a lot but I could feel she has a lot of worry yeah. inside yeah you know Esther I just can't imagine you know how you would have felt with the weight of you know your parents being somewhat open and honest about your diagnosis but then also protecting the extended family and friends from the news of what you were going through and it just being so different to how you approached it here in Australia with your your friends and your little com your community that you had created in Australia was that hard for you to accept that it would they just dealt with it so differently to how you felt was the best way to deal with it why by being open and honest with everybody yeah and uh, during my treatment it was quite easy in a way because the only way I focus is to get well like uh, yeah. finish the treatment. So I haven't, you know, 
by cutting the cutting the connection back home with China is is really really hard, and uh, especially you know your initially I didn't tell my friends, so like some friends want to come over, and I have to make lies, say oh you know I'm busy or I'm not you know I'm on business trip, you can't come, and at a stage like even what makes really makes me heartbroken is my my grandpa passed away during my mom's mm-hmm. stay with me, but my parent grandpa didn't know I had a cancer, and mm-hmm. my grandpa yeah. want me to go back home to be with him, but I can never, and I can never tell the truth, and oh, I've been regretting for a really really long time. I felt at one stage I felt maybe my grandpa would be resenting me. Yeah. And that's why I felt so important to yeah, not hiding the news. That's that's what I felt now because the just a lot of the consequences, even I believe the way my parents doing that is to protect me from a good intention. But sometimes I start questioning about yeah, what are could be the consequence. It could be harder, and uh, something could maybe I could hold hold that guilt for for many many years. Yeah. And but I was also lucky because um, although I get I was uh, isolated from the connection back home, but I had a really like you said a very close group here in Australia supporting me. Like my housemate, she's always there for me, and she yeah. is one of the first people, friends, to allow me to express my emotions. For example, during the treatment, a lot of time I want to cry because I, you know, I, I couldn't understand or, you know, why why be like that, and I don't know the future, and um. And I was scared about this, and uh, and I've cried in front of my mom. But every time mom said to me, "Say you need to be positive, and uh, you need to be strong, and don't cry, and uh, you know, have smile, and uh, that's how you can feel better." But at that moment, I just want to cry, and that's how my my housemate has helped me a lot to actually acknowledge and express to allow myself to to cry in front of you know my housemate. So that's really important. And I have other friends. They will bring their her kids. Another friend bring her little kids with me. You know, and uh, workplace has been really supportive. They come to see me. So I think. I'm really grateful for everyone here in Australia. You know, the friends, the people I met, the support yeah. they gave me, and it, it helped me a lot. It sounds like this diagnosis really made a shift in your soul and it made a shift in the way that you express yourself and thought about the way that you can express yourself because it sounds like you know back in China that you as you said you don't talk about the bad you just be positive and even by your mum saying as soon as you begin to cry no 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 just think positive that you now being you know exposed and living in Australia seeing oh well 
the way of being able to be open and positive, you know, express your emotions, good, happy, sad, angry, um, fearful, can can really be so so healthy for the soul and so healthy for yourself. That's so true because I think by expressing ourselves, that's the because I always believe, Kate. My belief is our you know a lot of emotional baggage. It can potentially uh, doing harm to our body. Can yeah. change the chemistry within our body, and uh, over the years, it can lead to some physical illness. Yeah. So I think it's really important, especially during this cancer journey, to really express our emotions because we need to clear that. Then that's when we can start allow healing to happen. Yeah, I, I've I've heard that many of times that you know people believe that by building things up, whether anger, resentment, trauma, and not you know tapping into it, how that that can lead to, to illnesses down the track. And I think that um, especially you know I've sat in front of many people um with a diagnosis of a blood cancer, and you know how they can be so fearful to, to, to talk about the things that frighten them or, or to ask questions to the doctor because they're fearful of the answer or they're fearful or even a carer asking questions because they're fearful that it may upset the patient or whatnot. And I think mm-hmm. there's something really valuable to learn within your story of, of how if we can be honest and open and um, I guess, you know, willing to talk openly that that can it can just be so powerful and such a, an emotional release as well for everyone yeah and the the other point is when we go through cancer it's important to have the support but if as a cancer patient if we can't allow ourselves to start talking about to sharing about how we feel instead of for had a mind instead of I used to have a mindset is people won't understand what I've been through but now I think about if I can let them know how I've been through and how I felt maybe you also allow others coming to you to support you because people want to support to you but they just don't know how so if I can allow this thing happen and then to willing then the 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 support they will come so I think and also I felt I I want to share a little bit is the first encounter with my uh, oncologist during the the final diagnosis because I got so so the gastro specialist referred me to the hematologist mm-hmm. and I remember very clearly is the the end of the so I went. I was in a private hospital to do all the checkups to to determine the staging of my cancer. Yeah, the exact staging. And I remember when before he came, and I had started reading all the booklet of uh, lymphoma. You know, I've been highlighted. I have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned uh, patients normally very scared, fear to 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 talk to the doctors but what I experienced is actually very interesting is I remember that day the oncologist coming to deliver the, the final news and I was very fear scared and nervous 
So he started telling me all the, you know, my staging and what a treatment I want and when I should come, what I should notice. So he talked about all these things about 15 minutes, 20, 15 minutes. And then he finished, he, he said, okay, I start and I see you, you know, during chemo or whatever. And he, he's, he was about to leave. And I don't know when I, I will have this courage. And I, I hold that booklet. I say, <laughs> hang on, doctor. Uh, would you mind stay a little bit longer? I said, I have a question for you because now is a very, I say now is the most critical time of my life. And I want to understand more about my cancer. And, uh, he was a little bit surprised. How brave of you. How brave yeah. of you to do. Oh, that and from a blood cancer support coordinator, that makes my heart sing that you were feeling brave enough and strong enough to take back that power in that appointment and ask questions for you and for your soul. Oh, that makes me yeah. very happy. You know what, Kate? And then he stayed for another 30 minutes and I have so many oh. questions. He didn't because... I believe most of the oncologist doctors are so nice. They want to help you. So they are, he actually was very patient to answer all the questions I had. And at that moment, like you, you said, I had a power within me. I said, okay, you know, instead of always being scared to doctor, you know, I can actually have my power and then can sit on an equally space with my doctor and to get the doctors to work together with me on a, like, on a cancer project to involve him yeah. on board. But I felt I am the person actually steering the ship because it's my life. Yeah. And I have, I just felt so much power after that consult, first consultation. And, uh, yeah, so this is something I want to share. God, Esther, I think that that is so powerful and I think that you just beautifully explained how it is so important because, you know, we do see doctors as, as, the high, as the higher playing field within, you know, the cancer journey and they have such an important job and role in, in, in that space. And I think you're right. It's actually the patient is the one steering the ship. I mean, the doctor can give all the advice and, and prescribe treatments and help with side effects and things like that, but it's actually the patient's choice to jump on board and, and which way that they would like to go, you know. And I think, as you say, it's it's really important for a patient to gather all the knowledge, to be brave, to stand in that power and to ask those questions because we all know knowledge is power. And by having as much knowledge on board, it helps us direct the ship in the best direction for us as a person. Yeah, and Kate, I have another uh, personal message to all the listeners is, you know, as a Chinese, a lot of, uh, because I was, uh, when I was working in the local cancer hospital as a volunteer for Chinese and a lot of our Chinese patients, we tend to um, say, oh, if they, they are not clear with something, they say, oh, don't worry, oh, it should be all right and we don't want to bother the doctor. No, especially because it's important. It's something you're not clear and maybe make another point appointment with doctor don't let that slide because you you need to be clear so don't ever feel bad or you know to find more because 
this is really something your life, and we need to take responsibility. We need to be clear, and don't ever worry about bothering doctors that their time is precious. No, our life is worth it's it just as well. As, yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. I always say to people that you you do have to be your own advocate. You know, you have to, as a patient, as a carer, you are consist- constantly and consistently needing to be your own advocate to, to push your own agenda of your needs and, and your side effects. And if something's not working for you or you've questioned something, talk to your team, talk to your doctor, talk to your nurses, your coordinators, your social workers, your psychologists, talk. That's so important. And, uh, and also, yeah, work with doctors and uh, even in my radiation my so you radiation. had to have radiation too? So you had yeah, chemotherapy? Yeah, I had a radiation. And because, you know, I come from engineering background, I like doing design. And my radiation uh, oncologist, he's so nice. But I, I, but first I put a request. He First he sent me a draft about where the radiation is because my spot is stomach. So that means the light will influence, for example, my my chest, my liver, you know, all different angles. Mm-hmm. Then I asked him, I said, you know, I know I have some weakness in my liver. Can we do this? So we actually co-designed because I also have a design background. We actually co-designed and he agreed the best mapping for me. And that's what I want to say to the listeners is particularly going through radiation, something like that. If you can get doctor to to tailor your situation as much as you care, that would be the best outcome. Wow. How amazing is that, you know? And I think that's an example of, you know, it, you, you brought up the fact that your, your you know, your liver had because some. Had autoimmune liver, so yeah. the liver is not really strong. Yeah. So by you again presenting that to the radiologist to go on look I need I would like you to figure out a different way because I don't want to you know damage my liver even more that that can for some people I hear that it can just be so annoying that you consistently have to tell your story again over and over to different people but I think trying to flip that thought instead of it being irritating going actually no that's ensuring I get the best care and ensuring that everybody is knowledgeable on my situation and ensuring that I get the best treatment or um, outcome for you with that meant co-designing how incredible is that I've never heard that you know a patient being able to help co-design their radiation treatment plan but for you that was the best outcome because you again openly and communicated that you your li- your liver would um need some some buffering yeah so that's a yeah so that's something i find really uh important for my cancer journey is uh yeah also by working with doctors uh you know in this way you actually build a closer connection with your doctor as well because it's mm. two way interaction so yeah. Like she said, as you said before, you know, you wanted to feel like you were working with your doctor on a project because that yeah. was very familiar with you, with your 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 line of work. And um yeah, what a way. So what so after you had chemotherapy, you had radiation, what was recovery like for you after that? Did you return to work? Did 
what what happened for you after treatment? Recovery after that was really hard. <laughs> As I mm. I felt survivorship is the the start of the survivorship is the hardest part of my journey, especially emotionally. I went back to work straight away, and I was doing sales. And before cancer, work has been the biggest part of my life. Actually, I put all my value, all my worth online. And when I went back to work, and uh, and you know, I can no longer, my body can no longer serve that fast pace. Mm-hmm. I can no longer, like a salesperson, running around. Yeah. And that actually hit my confidence or who I am a lot. Yeah. And um, and then the other thing is uh, during treatment, you know, you have a goal that I want to live. And then you have all the supporting, you have a clear schedule, chemo, radiation, treatment schedule. But then during the transition to the, to the recovery first, you know, your friends not ringing you that often, say how I, how you feeling, they don't really ring a lot. And then your support, my mom flew back to China being alone again with me and uh, all the road, there's no schedule, no treatment, the appointment instead of three days to see doctor becomes three months. And uh, the road ahead seems open very like open and you don't know what's going on next so you're kind of because a part of you get lost through cancer yeah you can no longer no longer be that fit at the beginning as before you can no longer do what you're passionate about doing and then that fear of relapse if you feel some subtle <laughs> pain and in the aches in your body it will trigger your worry anxiety for cancer relapse and uh, just a lot of un- unresolved emotions and it's coming up. So it is it is really hard. And especially yeah. when you hear about other people who are fighting cancer with you, together with you, they pass away, your friend. Yeah. I have heard, you know, um, how people do say you, they, they have that big fight to get through, you know, you're constantly for the chemotherapy and fighting to get to the end where the doctor says, okay, I think we're good. We, you know, more treatment. Let's have a bit of a break. And you get to that point, and and you're kind of left floundering. You know, your life is so busy at the hospital, as you say. It's very scheduled. It's very um, directed for you. And then the survivorship stage is all directed by you. And it, it that can be so hard because it's as you've said, you you've you've come through this diagnosis, and now you're not the person who you were before a blood cancer walked into your life. You're you're a completely different person, you know, as you say, whether you physically lost the strength to be able to do what you loved and um, were passionate about and 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 also mentally it it is a it takes a huge mental blow um to your mental health. Yeah. And then as you said, you can't do maybe the work that you you were in before a blood cancer came into your life. And and now to be left in this survivorship stage as we call it, to go, oh, how do I direct this? I've lost so much in my life. Where do I begin? Yeah. It is because, you know, part of you in a way, you you lost 
your part of your identity through this cancer. One hundred percent. Just like with COVID, you can't accept you can't accept the new normal. I can't accept. I'm like constantly getting sick. I used to be very healthy. I used to be very active with friends, but now I'm not. And I, I used to be doing really great with my job, but now I can't even do that job. So that big gap is created a big hole for me. Suddenly, say, oh, who I am now? Like I'm really lost. And also the expectation from others, they think, ah, oh, you are now your cancer is gone. You Treatment's done. You are supposed to be go back to normal. You're supposed to feel happy, but I'm not. But I'm scared to tell people I'm not happy because people say you don't have cancer. Why you don't happy? You're not feeling happy. You should be happy. Yeah, you should yeah. be happy. And then I think I tell myself, yes, I should feel happy. And also, I then compared to others going through cancer, I say I, I should feel happy. You know, if I think about others who are currently bad. Fighting for their life, but why I'm not happy? So it's kind of a lot of、uh, you know, like a like a self-critical, and I can't accept yourself where you are now. So that's all creating all this emotional kind of a turmoil for me at that time. So it really hit me really hard. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, it's you're right. You know, as you said, you've gone through this, and you think, why am I not happy? But I think it's also because. Whilst you're in treatment, it's so go go go, and your phys your 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 body is just is something that's constantly physically recovering. That you don't get to pay the attention to your mind and to and to support、um, and to tap into the you know I guess good practice of mental health because you're so busy just surviving. So when it comes into that survivorship、um, stage, that that's almost when you go. Oh, okay, now I can process what the heck just happened, and that's why I'm not feeling so happy because my mind and body now have just caught up. Yes, and、uh, but I think that's a great first step. Is your mind start showing you all these thoughts or, or feelings, emotions? Yeah, yeah. So, so what did you do? So you know, did you did you change your role a little bit at work, or how did you begin to, I guess, rebuilding life post your lymphoma diagnosis? I did a, a I always did a weird thing. I I left my work. I said、uh, I need to <laughs> I need to search for the meaning of life. Yeah. So I actually spent kind of a nearly two years on and off going on travels to look、wow. for what I really want in my life. Because at one stage, I find through this cancer journey, I find it actually it opens up to me, and I realize the emotions. So first thing I did is I I went to Mexico because I always、yeah. very drawn to to like a natural recovery after cancer. Natural healing, and、uh, also over there they do a lot of emotion healing, and that's the first time I experience emotion healing. I imagine, but it also be the first time for you experiencing emotions, because if in your culture it was、exactly. we just push this down, we just push this down. But I imagine this cancer diagnosis was the first time you, as I said to you before, split your soul open, and、um, you experienced emotion uncontrollably. Yeah, and then from when I start. This journey when I'm in Mexico, actually the practitioner now become my close friend. 
first time she, you know, we start doing meditation and start doing those affirmations to start to see how great you are, which is I never done that before. I never thought I'm good. I'm being constantly tracing because I think I'm not good by achieving this. But from that, I actually start learning how to really accept all the emotions or accept where I was at that time. And I also come to terms with that, you know, this cancer journey is really put up as a, a stepping stone to break apart, like peel the onion, the layers, which is not supposed to, now I think which was not my true self, but really peeling and then to show me who I am. So by doing a lot of, uh, because I felt up to cancer journey before, I don't really know how to self-love, how, how, how really appreciate myself. But through after the cancer, by going on doing those healings, I start really kind of uh, looking into myself and start really value myself. Valuing, yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, and also, I during that first you know survivorship, I was very emotionally very isolated. Even during the you know because I was being isolated from my parents or from my families back home, so. I also, like, I feel a lot of loneliness. So I also start going on trips, like uh, trips without planning, go to another country to to connect with strangers. And uh, I also follow a dear friend of mine here to to stand on the Federation Square to give people free hugs. Just open the arms, mm-hmm. let people hug you. And that actually, though, that actually is the turning point for me because I felt when I'm empty but when I open my arms when you hug people and then you can start you know people's you can experience people's kindness and love and they actually that kindness of love and fill you fill you up your empty tank mm, yeah and that's how I felt you know by embracing others by helping others or giving others hug and uh, I actually helping myself. So I start, yeah, that's how I start generally work out of my, you know, emotion or isolation is is by just to 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 give if I can. You consciously make a choice to be open. It sounds like, and it's it sounds like you consciously chose to choose happiness, to choose to be open, to choose to you know rebuild your life post this diagnosis it is because that's this is what I realized from that two years is this is who I am and maybe in a point during cancer or the the initial stage of the recovery I lost myself but through that trip or through by building myself I actually find you know that that brave me and that 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 person always have a curiosity and this is actually who I am so I find that lost part back so through sorry through your diagnosis you you feel that you found yourself your true authentic self yes that's my blessing and uh I remember 2016 during when I was chemo when I you might have the knowing but uh but I still 
feel really sad about you know why I have to go through this cancer and mm. uh, at a young age. And then I, I encountered two people, and the first lady told me she said, "Whether now you understand or not, cancer is your blessing." I didn't quite understand at the time,、mm. but now when I look back my four years journey. I think it is truly my blessing. Yeah, to shape, you know, give me a new, to really show me what you know who I am and what my purpose is. And I think that's、mm. really big、uh, to my life now. Is I felt, you know, I no longer, you know, live for others. This time,、mm-hmm. I actually start living for myself, and that's really yeah. important. Yeah, and.、Um, The second lady, she gave me a message. It's also very powerful because when I was young, when everyone told, heard like I had a cancer, the first reaction, a lot of them, ah,、uh, they they say, oh, you are so young, you know, it is too pity. You are so young. How about your life in the future? That's how I felt. I was a victim to have cancer. Yeah. But that lady in Mexico, she told me, she said, "You are so lucky to have cancer at a young age." And I, I said to her, I said, "You are the first person to tell me that, and the, why you think that way?" And she said, "Because now you have the awareness," and that's exactly、yeah. true. Because now、yeah. I'm very aware of my life. Yeah, 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 very true, and it's. I couldn't agree more, and I think you know, for some people that hear this, it, it may be hard for them to agree or to see that you know, cancer is a blessing, and I and I do, and I do recognize that some people have an enormous struggle with the acceptance of this because they didn't choose it. But I think the key message for those people, even if they can't see the blessing, or for the people that can see the blessing, I think it's all about flipping it, trying to mentally flip a negative. Into a positive, and I think I always say to people, try it, even if you don't believe it, even if you, if you self-talk, you don't, you don't believe your own self-talk. But eventually, as you said, you keep using those positive affirmations. You keep choosing to step into the positive side of your mindset rather than the negative. I believe that that can sometimes be the unlocking for people. It is because,、um, yeah, because our mind can be trained. And our, our、yeah. mind can't differentiate whether it's a、uh, you know we fake you know we fake to be positive or yeah it, we can train our mind and、uh, yeah it's a muscle and,、uh, it's a muscle and I also believe kind of、uh, if we kind of a law of attraction in a way if we put our intention focus on positive and things positive things could happen. Consciously choose to be positive and to see things in a brighter light than a negative. And it's not to say not to, not to、um, ever step into that sad and negative emotion. But it's important to、um, make conscious steps to choose your happiness, to choose、um, yourself. Yeah, and I remember the、uh, the doctors in Mexico told me. He told me.、Uh, Whatever stage you are, there's always hope. Yeah. Whatever. The, yeah, and the, and it's your choice to. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, I heard a quote um, by the famous Oprah Winth- Winfrey and it said, you know, life is all about connecting the dots and that there's always a thread running through all of our lives. And when you figure out what that what that thread is and what connects the dots, that that's when you figure out your purpose. And I believe that's kind of what you've done. You know, we had all, you had all these dots in life before, but, and then we all have the thread, but now through your cancer diagnosis, you've been able to pull all that thread and dots together and you're finding out your purpose of sharing your story and being open and honest um, with people. And Yeah. And that's why, you know, whether the listeners now, it depends on how you perceive cancer. And it it is, uh, what's the people said? It's not happened to you, but it's happened for you mm. for a good reason, if you can see that way. Yeah. That means I always believe cancer is a messenger. Mm-hmm. It's it, it doesn't tell you that your body abandoned you. It actually mm. tells you your body needs you now. Mm. Listen, I need you. And uh, if this is something I've learned from others as well, like if we can really take this opportunity to reflect our life in the past, you know, what habits or what relationship which may not be too healthy, you know, something we can change. Cancer is a really a message to tell you is you know it's a time for for make a change. Yeah, it needs your yes. support and help and attention. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Wow. Well, Esther, you've imparted just so much knowledge and just been so open with us today, and I I just can't thank you enough. And you know your outlook and your perception on and everything that you've been dealt with is just really admirable and I just um I think I just can't wish you anything more but the best and I hope that um you know today the listeners uh get something they feel that they can take lots away because I I've taken away some golden nuggets um from you just speaking with you today so I couldn't yeah I can't thank you enough as we wrap up every episode we always like to ask um our guest, are there any golden nuggets that you would like to impart um, to the listeners? And I know you've you've dropped some beautiful golden nuggets through um, this episode, but is there any more that you'd like to send away to the listeners? Yeah, yeah, maybe two or three little nuggets. First yeah. one is like I want to re uh, reemphasize that whatever stage you are, don't lose hope. There is always hope. And uh, make a, make a little steps every day, and then you will see the changes and trust in yourself. Yeah. And the second little nuggets is I learned from a dear friend of mine is cancer is not your identity. Cancer is not who you are. Even you're going through cancer, that means that means it's just part of a journey it's a you know it's a something you need to deal with you are much bigger than cancer that's what i want to say yeah yeah and the last nugget is as to cancer survivors i told okay last time i turn, tend to use different terminology first of all i i, I often tell people i'm a thriver <laughs> yeah you are thrive. a thriver 
And the uh, yeah. second layer is uh, I'm a little bit sensitive to this word remission. Uh, instead, I will tell, this is how I tell myself is remission to me is remember my mission. So my mission in this world. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Firstly, Esther, it was a privilege speaking with you and I cannot thank you enough for having a conversation with me and shedding light on topics that aren't always discussed. I hope you, the listeners, enjoyed today's episode and found the conversation with Esther just as valuable as I did. If you would like more information on our services or today's episode, please feel free to call 1-800-620-420 and somebody will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Kate Arkadiff and you've been listening to the Leukemia Foundation's podcast, Talking Blood Cancer.